When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Anita Marks on 98.7 ESPN. Anita Marks with you tonight for the next three hours. Uh, We've got a fun show lined up for you. Uh, Jake and Jacob are producing the show back in the studio. Emily Kaplan, you can see her all over ESPN covering everything NHL as we are in the thick of it. Uh, Avalanche have an opportunity to sweep um, the Oilers tonight. I've, I've, I've got a play and I've got some picks there for you, so... Um, she's going to join us at, at 7.30. The puck drops at 8 o'clock. So uh, we'll get a preview of that game from her. But more importantly, her thoughts on the Rangers. And we're going to hopefully spend uh, the first hour doing a deep dive into uh, this Rangers lightning series. We'll open up the phone lines, 800-919-3776. Take your calls. I'd love to hear from Rangers fans. Uh, your thoughts on uh, on game number right three. Four? No, it's four, right? I, I'm, I'm getting it mixed up. You know what I'm? You know what's happening, guys? Is that uh, it's like because we have the Celtics Warriors series going on that, and we've got and the Rangers Lightning and the Avalanche in Colorado. It's like I get mixed up in regard to uh, what game we are in the series. Um, but nonetheless, uh, we'll be spending the first hours talking hour talking about the Rangers and the Lightning. Again, excited. Emily Kaplan's going to join us at 7.30. We'll talk some NBA, getting you ready for that Celtics-Warriors matchup as now uh, they head to Boston for Game 3. That is Game 3, and that is Wednesday night at 9 o'clock in Boston. Do you guys feel like there's just too much downtime between games when it comes to the NBA right now? And, and like, I get it. You know, it's the West against the East, so when we get to this point, it's it's the finals – You've got to, you know, uh, you, you've got to equate the fact that they're traveling across the country. It's Boston, San Francisco, San Francisco, Boston. I get it. But I just, I, I like, don't you guys feel like it's just too much downtime? Absolutely, Anita. And good evening to you. And Good evening. Good evening, yes. And to your point yesterday, <laughs> it was such a great day for sports. I know people were complaining about the early pitch off, I guess, for the Yankees at 11:35. That is so, a little early. Come on, like early. you haven't even Super you early. haven't even had your first mimosa or like Bloody Mary at that point. <laughs> and people, at least were, I haven't. Yeah, right. It's five o'clock somewhere, but people were <laughs> complaining that it was on Peacock, which I get to. But realistically, if you look at the schedule of events of sports yesterday, you wake up, you have the Yankees. Throughout the day, you have baseball games. You have a Game 3 playoff game of the Rangers at 3 o'clock. And then to end your night, you have an NBA Finals game. So we kind of discussed in our pre-show meeting how there's just so much going on in sports right now. And and we are spot on. It's just such a great time, whether you're a baseball, basketball, football, or hockey fan. It's a great time. But to your other point, yes, we also missed the days with the NBA games where there were two or three games on every night. Now it seems like one NBA Finals game a week goes by, and then you have to wait for yeah, another I'm one. Like, I'm like, wait a minute, Wednesday? Wednesday they're playing? Between like, game three and game it's four, only it is Wednesday to Friday, which is not that big. That's how it should be a lot of the time when you're not traveling. It should be a game, a day off, and then the other game. But 
game one and two felt like there was a huge gap in between the two games. Yeah, just too many, too, too many, too many days off. Too many days off. But as we know, the series now is tied. Game two looked more like what I was expecting in game one. But nonetheless, now, of course, the Warriors feeling a little bit better about themselves. Um, and they're going to have to win one back in Boston to regain home court advantage. So we'll, we'll do a deep dive into uh, what's going on in the NBA and uh, what I'm expecting in Game 3. Like I said, you've got the Rangers up 2-1 in the series against the Lightning. And, uh, and you've got that game tomorrow at 8 o'clock. Another game in Tampa. We'll dive into that again. Emily Kaplan is going to join us. Also, Major League Baseball. Yankees are off today. Nice. They've got a day off. Uh, they're back in action tomorrow in Minnesota against the Twins. First pitch will be 740. They just uh, got done sweeping the Detroit Tigers. So a nice day off on the road. Uh, but meanwhile, you've got the Mets playing tonight, and uh, they're still on the West Coast, so they split the series with the Dodgers 2-2, so now uh, they just head a little further south there in uh, in Cali and take on the Padres. Uh, they started a three-game series. Carrasco on the bump for the Mets, going up against Blake Snell, so I really like the Mets tonight. I'll give you a play there as we get closer to uh, to first pitch. And Pat Regazzo is going to join us. Uh, he covers the Mets for SI. So he's going to be joining us around 8.30 this evening as well. Even though the Yankees are off, obviously the big news is Andujar. Uh, re- do we say requesting or do we say demanding? What do you, what, what would, how, how, how do we want to phrase this? I think is you, it more, I think is it requesting <laughs> or is it? Because everything that I'm reading, it's like, he's demanding. Like, like I'm done. I don't belong in the minors riding buses. To me, it would have to be a demand. It almost, right? almost yeah. sounds like a hostage situation. <laughs> but, <laughs> what? But, but Anita, do you, do you blame him? Like, do you blame him for wanting out of the Yankees? He, he's constantly done his job every time he's come up at first it was the defense that was kind of a scare but he's fixed his defense he's done everything that he's been asked of and I think a lot of Yankee fans can agree he certainly belongs on in this on this team in this lineup over people that have been struggling like Joey Gallo and Aaron Hicks just because of the money that they've spent for those guys and I think the Yankees are a little too prideful to admit that they really made a mistake with Joey Gallo I think a lot of Yankee fans would prefer to see Miguel Andujar's bat in the lineup over of a struggling Hicks and Gallo. So it's, of a, course. it's a really I know, bad situation. I, I know you you typically you you produce the show with me on Saturdays, but Sunday uh, we we fielded a, a number of calls from Yankee fans who uh, who are upset and disappointed with the situation and uh, and are more so on the Andujar uh, camp team. Uh, more so than the Gallo team. Um, but we'll dive into that tonight as well. We'll get you ready for Mets and Padres. That first pitch is at 9.40 p.m. Again, because the Mets are on the left coast. Avalanche and Oilers, that puck drops at 8 o'clock. Again, Yankees are off. Rangers don't play until tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. You'll be able to listen to that right here on 98.7 ESPN. And, of course, the Celtics and the Warriors, Game 3, in Boston, Boston, um, is Wednesday at 9 o'clock. Also, big week around ESPN because it is NFL Futures Week. So all week long, every platform, every show, we're talking NFL Futures. So I thought it'd be fun. We'll do it tonight as well, uh, and we'll keep it local. So um, we will talk 
Giants and Jets futures. Like futures in regards to what? Futures meaning what the odds makers out there expect for the Jets or the Giants to win. What is their win total? Over, under what? For the Jets, it's five and a half. For the Giants, it's seven. Um, very, I don't, this might surprise you guys, but are you guys aware that the number one futures bet that, that, um, in, in most sports books right now is the Jets over five and a half wins? That's the number one futures bet that has been placed in sports books right now is the Jets over five and a half wins. Does that surprise you at all? Not at all. I am one of those. Are you really? You put down the over on the Jets at five and a half, Jacob? Five and a, as a Jets fan, yes, I did. And it's not because I was blinded by the green jerseys. Or blinded the green, by the light. Or by the green Wrapped up like a... <laughs> But I, uh, I I do truly believe they at least could get uh, six, seven wins on the season. I don't, I'm not jumping out the window and saying they could get 10, 12 wins. I don't think it, it's that type of season. But as with the team they currently constructed and they could add a few more pieces, they could be a seven, eight win team. And I work, I'll tell I work you what, with Jacob. Um, I know he likes giving his money to Vegas. So there you go. I work with Jacob all the time. <laughs> so free money whoa, to Vegas. No, but, ouch. Uh, I do think that low is a, blow. <laughs> I mean, if you're a only Jets, 11 minutes in, <laughs> 11 minutes in, and it's a Royal Rumble. But realistically, that is a pretty <laughs> that's a pretty solid bet, even for a team that if you don't expect them to make the playoffs to get six wins, uh, that's certainly possible. So I totally understand why that would be the number one futures bet. Um, so we're going to dive into that. And, uh, even those out there who, you know, like Don LaGreca, when I mentioned golf, I'm sure he either rolls his eyes or drives his car off the side of the road. Um, there is a lot of drama happening right now. Um, there are a number of prominent named golfers that are now signed up for this live the L I V tour uh, with Greg Norman and a lot of the Saudi dudes um, that the first tournament is in London next week. And uh, Phil Mickelson and Ricky Fowler came out this week and said that they are joining Dustin Johnson, Sergio Garcia, Cooch, Garcia, uh, Kevin Na, Ian Poulter, Lee Westwood, Louis O um, to go play in this league. And um, it could be could be interesting to see what the fallout is. The PGA Tour is threatening a lifetime ban and possible legal action. So uh, this is really, really, really getting interesting. Interesting. So uh, so we'll, we'll dive into that as well. So as you can see, jam packed show. A lot to get to. A lot to discuss. Eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. We come back. Like I said, uh, let's uh, let's do a deeper dive into the Rangers. We'll recap what happened in that unfortunate lightning loss yesterday, three to two. So now the series is two one. Uh, how how comfortable are you? How confident are you that this is a Rangers team that can win tomorrow night in Tampa? Hopefully, take the series to three and one, and then come back to New York and seal the deal and end the series at four and one. I'm feeling kind of confident. I'm feeling kind of confident. And when we get back, I will tell you all the reasons why. And we'll open up the phone lines. They were the better team. You know, I mean, we come in here, we knew it was going to be a battle. 
I was pretty happy after two periods, it was 2-2. You know, I mean, uh, you give yourself a chance to win, and that's what we've done. And we, we didn't do a great job of that before in some road games, but I thought we stayed with it. We had an opportunity, and uh, unfortunately, they get the late goal to, to win the hockey game. But uh, we got outplayed, but we had a chance to win late. Galan talking about uh, the Rangers' performance last night. We're going to get to your calls in just a second. Richard and Brian, I see you, 800-919-3776. Hang tight. So uh, let's recap. Rangers, as we know, they lose to the Lightning 3-2. First period, as we saw, uh, the Lightning came out strong. Rangers responded, right? No goals, so no early lead for Tampa Bay. That was really uh, crucial. That was one of the the key points uh, that a number of the analysts made prior to the game. Uh, Vasilevsky, so so far, let's hands down, best game, of course. He's on his home ice. He's not here in New York. Second period, as Gallant just said, uh, Rangers owned it, right? Went up 2-1, uh, scoring those two goals on power play goals. Um, and, and pretty much at that point in time, this became like a, a penalty game. Uh, you, you had the Lightning, and um, they scored on a power play with about nine, a little over nine minutes left in the second period. So now second period, 2-1. Third period, again, I, I felt the Rangers dominated the third period. But it came down to, you know, Tampa Bay scoring on, on a power play, and then the Rangers couldn't score. They had that four-minute power play. This is, this is what they had prided themselves on in the postseason and couldn't get it done. And, of course, with the last 40 seconds, uh, you know, Tampa scores, and they rally from a 2-0 deficit, um, and, and they win the game. So, but I walk away from that game, and and by all means, Jake and Jacob, please chime in and 800-919-3776. Like, I don't walk away from game three going, oh, wow, you know, the Rangers were, they were dominated by, you know, the Stanley Cup champions. Like, I, I didn't walk away from the game saying, oh, they were totally outplayed. Oh, they have no chance. Like, I, the point I'm making here is, you know, the 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 Carolina Hurricanes, to me, played better against the Rangers on their home ice than what I saw last night with the Lightning. Like, I'm I'm feeling confident in this Rangers team. I, I felt that they, in regard to the, to the minutes that these two teams were on the ice, I feel that the Rangers dominated the majority of the minutes. Just came down to an unfortunate third period, an unfortunate lucky Lucky two goals that, that they were able to score, especially the one that, that they won it with the last 40 seconds of the game. Agree or disagree? I completely agree. And I think if you ask any Rangers before the series if they would sign up for a 2-1 lead after three games, they certainly will. I think just with yesterday's game, it's the way they lost. Having that 2 nothing lead, they built that great lead from mm-hmm. the power play goals from the two guys you would expect to score in Zabanajad and Kreider. But then, of course, Tampa Bay responds with power play goals of their own. And then, again, it's just the. if you asked any Rangers fan if they would sign up for a 2-1 lead before the series, yes. But the way they lost that game three with 40 seconds left, they had the 2-0 lead. That might be the turning point in the series. And I hope for the Rangers and New York that it's not. And luckily for Rangers fans is... This team has been resilient all playoffs. So although they have a 2-1 lead, which is great, 
The way they lost, you don't know if they'll be able to bounce back, but if you've learned anything from the series against Pittsburgh, being down 3-1 and winning games 5, 6, and 7 against Pittsburgh, or being down against Carolina and coming back to tie that series, you've seen with this Rangers team that when they face adversity, they're going to respond and kind of punch the other team right in the mouth. So this game four is huge. Again, it's not the end of the world if Tampa Bay wins and ties the series. Then it's a three-game series with two of them being at Madison Square Garden, which any Rangers fan again would sign up for. But if you can steal one in Tampa Bay and go up 3-1, Rangers fans have to be feeling amazing going back to Madison Square Garden. You know, obviously a big big storyline here obviously is is th- what's going on with, with each goaltender. And keep in mind, um, Igor had uh, 20 more shots um, than his counterpart, by the way. Um, so, you know, and, and I think both of them had, had stellar performances. Um, but, but obviously, Shesterkin needs, needs a lot more help on the defensive side of the ice. Um, also, I thought this was really interesting. I wanted to share this with you, and I'm, I'm, I'm curious, heading into game four, if we're going to see something different here. Now, keep in mind, the lightning crowded um, Igor's crease during game three. And you heard Gallant talk about it. I don't. Do you guys have a soundbite with him talking about that? With about talking about the, the net presence that the Lightning had, and it was different in that game last night than it's been in the first two games. Um, you know, they, they set up at the top of his crease, and um, which didn't let didn't allow him to retreat further back. Um, they took away obviously, you know, his his eyes, limit his ability to see the release point. And, um, and, and so they just, they, they had such a strong net presence and Igor didn't complain about it, but Gallant complained about it. And he even said that he's going to mention something. He's going to complain. He's going to take it to the officials. Um, he didn't like the net presence that the, that the lightning had very different in game three than they did in the first two games. Um, so, so if, if, if you, I mean, again, I know I'm just throwing this your way. Um, I would have texted you earlier today, but I thought it was really, really, really interesting, especially since this is a, a lightning team and, um, and you know, they're, they're well known for their trap goals. And so this allows them to do that, obviously, a lot easier. So they just played a, a different game in regard to their net presence against Igor Shashurkin. And, and I'm, I'm curious if that is going to change this next game based on the fact that Gallant said that, uh, that he was going to speak to the officials about it. We'll see what happens. 800-919-3776. Let's get to your calls before we have Emily Kaplan join us. Uh, let's go to Brian. Brian, welcome in. Hi, Anita. How are you doing? I'm great. Good evening. Good evening. Um, Sorry to switch a little bit here, but I just got to complain about this. So I'm watching the Yankee game, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm watching, and I don't want to turn it off because it's exciting. But at the same time, when it gets to extra innings, I want to shut it off because, and I don't know how you feel about this, I have a lot of issues with MLB, but I hate the runner starting on second uh, base in extra innings. I, I know. can't stand it can't stand it you know what you know why you know why brian because you are you're you're in i'm gonna use the phrase old school right a, a traditional in majorly you're, you're a traditional baseball fan right like you just yeah am i right yeah i mean right you, you probably you like probably the... you probably don't like the flipping of the bat no i don't mind that you know <laughs> let the kids be kids i i 
can meet in the middle with this, but I just don't like the extra Here's, innings and making. I hear baseball. you. I hear you. I hear you, and I appreciate the phone call, and I and I and I hear your frustration. Um, you know, I, but but keep in mind, this is this is what's happening. I mean, we are we are living in a, in in a time right now where you know millennials are now um, Major League Baseball's. Uh, audience that they that they need to capture that they need to get they want them to come to the ballpark and uh, it's uh it's 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 all about what you know quick what what for for <laughs> for a mill- when i talk to millennials about how much i love golf they just they're like i don't understand you go and you're on a golf course for five hours and you don't look at your phone and you don't text you don't get on social media you don't make like I, they can't fathom how you know, you can be so disconnected. And again, I know I'm being, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing a, a large net here. I, I know there's millennials out here who, who I don't mean to be stereotypical, but the majority of millennials that I speak to are like, Oh no, no, I can only play nine holes. I, I can't go play 18. Like I can't be out there for five, five and a half hours without my phone. <laughs> okay. I, like, and I just share that with you just say like, that's the audience now that's getting older. That's the audience that now is starting to have children that major league baseball, um, you know, organizations and teams want them to buy season tickets and come to the games and buy the $15 hot dog and the $25 beer. And unless you speed up the game, they're not coming. They're not coming, Brian. So you know, that, that's, that's what a lot of that is about. Got to speed up the game. Game's too long. So, but I, but I hear you, man. I hear you. Quick break. We come back. Uh, we're going to continue to talk Rangers. Emily Kaplan is going to join us. She's doing a phenomenal job all over ESPN covering all the series. So uh, we'll bring her in. We'll ask her about the, the Rangers. What is she thinking about game four? And also you got the Avalanche possibly sweeping the Oilers tonight. Uh, puck drops at 8 o'clock, and so we'll get her take on that matchup as well. Yeah, I mean, Troops has been a, a rock for us all year. It's not you know, his fault, obviously. You know, some calls happen, obviously. You know, that one start of the third, I don't know about that one, but, you know, Troops, has, he's played a lot of games. He's a, a leader for us. He bounces back. You know, I don't think anyone's anyone here is blaming Troops. It's nothing like that, but, you know, he still does a lot of good things, still, you know, played a really good game, played hard, and it happens. He had a, a few penalties, uh, you know, some bad bounces that, you know, he dropped his stick on one, puck bounced, uh, you know, I think threw a skate on another. But, you know, I'm sure he'll be the, the same guy uh, come next game. Adam Fox talking to the media um, after an unfortunate loss. Uh, so Rangers still up on the series 2-1. That's the positive. But as we know, they lost to Tampa Bay yesterday, last night. Um, yesterday afternoon, three to two. Uh, without further ado, let's bring in Emily Kaplan, who's doing a phenomenal job. Emily, so thrilled that you're on. Can I just say, I feel like I'm so proud of you. Like, you're crushing it. You are just, you're doing such a phenomenal job. You look great. You sound great. You're just, I'm just, I'm just, and, and, I, and, and I can say, oh, I knew her win. Thank you so much, Anita. I'm personally, thank you for having me on your show. Um, this year has been, a roller coaster for me. This is my first experience in live TV game broadcast. Um, just try to do the best that I can. It's all about reps that I'm learning as I go, but I'm having a blast and I just appreciate you saying those kind words. And yes, I knew you back when, when I was a, a little intrepid football reporter and um, that was my previous life. No, but I, you know, here's the thing. And, and you, 
and not to take advice from me, okay? But I, I just, but you no, know, I would you, love advice from but you, but I, I know, I know you're new at this, but you know what? You're you, and, and and it doesn't matter how many times you make a mistake. Just what comes through when you're on Emily is that it, you're genuine, and and it, there, there's nothing fake. Like I like I know you, so I'm watching you, and and and, and it's you and. A, a, a lot of broadcasters, they they don't do that. Um, you know that I don't for whatever reason. Uh, maybe it's hard for them to be them on uh, on national television. But you're you, and it comes through, and it's genuine, and it's good. And uh, and and I just I think you're doing a phenomenal job, and I'm thrilled that you're on with us tonight. So I appreciate your time, my friend. Um, let's oh, uh, before b- before we before I let you go, I, I do want you to break down and give us a preview of the Avalanche <laughs> Oilers game that I know that uh, that puck drops in less than thirty minutes. But let's talk about the Rangers. A great 2-0 uh, lead in the series here in, in New York and just an unfortunate loss yesterday. And we were talking about it, like watching that game, I walked away not thinking like, oh, the Tampa Bay Lightning dominated the Rangers. I felt the Rangers dominated that game. It was just unfortunate turn of events that happened late in the third period, let alone the last 40 seconds. Uh, recap game three for us. Oh, it was an exciting one. I mean, the Lightning had, like, nearly 50 shots on goal. Um, so, Igor Shosturkin, as you know, was standing on his head. But you're right. Like, the Rangers are right in it. They had a 2-0 lead. I think they're probably thinking about squandering some missed opportunities where they could have gone up 3-0 in the series. But really, if you look at this series, um, the Rangers took such advantage of the fact that the Lightning had nine days off between the series. They were rusty in games one and two. Um, the Rangers just looked fast and fearless as they've been all season. And I think there was a change midway through game two. That's when John Cooper put uh, Steven Stamkos up on the top line alongside Nikita Kucherov. And at that moment, all of a sudden, like, they weren't turning the puck over as much. It felt like they had urgency, and they realized that their cup window was closing. So everything since, since that moment, I felt like it became a series. And this one was unfortunate that it comes down to a goal that scored in the under one minute left. But the Rangers, if they showed us anything in this playoff, I mean, they're 5-0 in el- elimination games. They're a very resilient bunch, and they'll get right back at it tomorrow. Yeah, it, you know, and, and for me, really, the one thing that really stands out um, is is the unfortunate, uh, you know, the, the Rangers couldn't score with that four-minute power play. They've just been so dominant on the power play. And, you know, they had those four minutes, and I was just like, oh, this is it. It could be one here. And, of course, it, it, it didn't happen. What, in, in your eyes, what, why do you see what, what's, uh, what's, what's, what's behind their success in regard to how, why they're so good with the power play? I mean, honestly, I think it begins with Mika Zibanejad. I don't think I had quite an appreciation for him as much as I needed to before I started covering them this closely in the playoffs. Um, him, when he stands in that slot position, his shot is so heavy. It's a very deceiving shot. It's really hard to defend against. And, you know, talking to John Cooper, the coach of the Lightning, like he's comparing him to Alex Ovechkin or Steven Stamkos on a power play. So I think that shows the respect that they're giving him in that position. I think they do a great job with puck movement. I think it also begins with the fact that they've got elite offensive guys on their blue line, like Adam Fox. On the other end of the spectrum, again, when the Lightning are starting to look for themselves, that's scary because one of the tenants of Lightning teams has been their penalty kill. Um, and it's all because of their structure and their rotations. They've created a lot of consistency there. They lost three of their top four penalty-killing forwards over the last year, um, you know, including Barclay Goodrow, who is now on the Rangers. And they don't seem to miss a beat, and that's because they're well-coached and they have good structure. So this, to me, is like one of the fascinating um, – battles in this series is just the uh, the lightning pk versus the rangers power play 
Uh, let's talk about Igor Shesterkin. Uh, and, and I jokingly ask this over under how many dogs in the New York and New Jersey area are going to be called Igor in the next three to four months. <laughs> I'll take, a you're great take question. The- I honestly hadn't thought about that. I'm going to take 5,000 and I'll take the over. <laughs> right. We're going to, I mean, listen, um, I, I have three dogs. Unfortunately, I just recently in, in the last year and a half, I, I, I lost two uh, to old age. Um, but if, if I was so inclined to get a fourth um, as sucked in as I am to this Rangers postseason, I might call him an Igor. Even if I, maybe I got a girl, I would still name her Igor. I don't know. But nonetheless, um, <laughs> you but um but you know you're around him uh you know you're you're in the locker room you're talking to him kind of you know give us some insight you know he's he's got such a huge fan base now I mean the other day I threw out a show question um who's taken over New York more Aaron Judge with the Yankees this season or Igor Shosturkin with of course the Rangers in the postseason uh and it was I I I fielded pretty much 50-50 so kind of give us some insight in regards to Igor and what he's like yeah, well, the truth is we don't really know what he's like because he doesn't do any on-camera interviews um, because he's not really confident in his English, and neither does Artemi Panarin. I'll tell you that those two are glued at the hip. You know, we've stayed at the same hotel as the Rangers, um, and I just always see them together, always walking to get meals, always walking out of the rink together. He just seems like a really respectful guy, um, a quiet guy, someone who's very serious about his craft. You know, talking to people who worked with him and played against him in Russia, they talked about how he really amped up his work ethic over the last couple of years there to be this elite goaltender. And I think something really interesting about him that I'm not sure is really being covered enough is he never had the full-time net until he got to New York this year, um, either in the KHL, the Russian uh, league over there, or the Russian national team. He was always sharing it with somebody. So um, the fact that he's going this long into the playoffs, it's a different pressure. It's a different rhythm. You know, maybe that's why he was a bit shaky in that Pittsburgh series. But since then, since, you know, Gallant told him really to preserve him, he's been lights out. And I do think he's won over a lot of New Yorkers, a lot of New York Rangers fans. And he is the heir apparent to Heinrich Lundqvist, plain and simple. Um, again, Emily Kaplan joining us here on 98.7 ESPN. You know, I, I was listening to uh, – you know, the post-game press conference, and uh, there was a lot being talked about in regards to the net presence that we saw from the Lightning in Game 3 as opposed to the first two games and crowding Shesterkin's crease. And it sounded to me like um, there was going to be uh, some, uh, some, some uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, complaints. Um, yeah. Uh, there, there's going to be some complaints. I, what, what I mean, what what can you tell us about that? Um, you know, how how upset um, were were the Rangers in in regard to that style of play from the Lightning yesterday? You know, I think this is Gerard Gallant is trying to protect his players. Um, on every NHL series, there are refs, um, you know, that come in and out. But there's one series supervisor, and Gallant said that he's going to air his grievances with him. He doesn't mm-hmm. like the way that they're crowding the net. He thinks that, you right. know, they should be protecting Igor better. At the same time, the Lightning were called for two penalties yesterday for infractions on Igor Shesterkin in his crease. So they are officiating it pretty well. I think this is more so Solange is saying he's not a fan of it, but this is the way the Lightning do business. And I think the Rangers are just going to have to deal with it and box them out a little bit better to protect their goalie. All right. With that being said, uh, tomorrow night, 8 o'clock, game four. What are you expecting? 
I'm expecting a really good game. Again, I think that the Lightning have found themselves and they're back in the series. At the same time, like, the Rangers lost that game, but they were the better team for stretches. They still, you know, the Lightning finally looked a little bit faster, but I think that the Rangers are a faster team, a younger team. Um, I'm expecting an exciting one. I think Gasolesky found his form, so maybe low scoring. But um, I'm going to go 3-2 again, and I'm not going to tell you the winner because I have no idea who. Um, well, I'm <laughs> I'm feeling confident about the Rangers. I think the Rangers are going to win tomorrow night, and then they're going to come back to New York, and I think the series is going to be over 4-1. That's, 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 and you heard it here that's first. A, that's a very fair prediction. That's a very fair <laughs> prediction. Ooh, Anita's going out on a limb. Hey, before we let you go, uh, let's talk about the avalanche in the, uh, the Oilers puck drops in, in just about uh, 18 minutes. So uh, this is, this is an opportunity for the avalanche to, uh, to sweep and win the series tonight. Uh, do you think they can do it? I really do think so. Um, you know, Connor McDavid is an outworldly talent. He's incredible, but. For so much of his career in Edmonton, it's just been the Connor McDavid show, and he hasn't had that supporting cast. He does have one elite player that's next to him, and that's Leon Dreisaitl. Unfortunately, if you've watched this series, it's very apparent Leon Dreisaitl is so banged up. Like, he's he's going to announce that he had a couple injuries when all these playoffs is over. Darnell Nurse, their top defenseman, is also pretty banged up. They talk about him being a warrior, battling through it. And the, the Avalanche are just the deepest team, the most talented team. They play fast. They play nasty. Um, they've had their fair share of injuries too, but they're just deeper and they've had next man up. So I think they close this out in game four, but if it goes game five in Colorado, like there's no chance the Oilers are coming back. With Kadri out, who by the way, 13 goals in 15 games, Alex Newhook is stepping in tonight. He's got 13 goals in 71 games this season, but he was only averaging 13 minutes. So obviously he steps in for Kadri. He's going to play a lot more minutes. I'm, 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 I put down a bet that he's going to score tonight at plus 360. It, was that do you think that's a oh good I like that do you like that oh! I think it is you know I think uh, uh, here's the thing um JT look 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 at look at the NFL girl spot. look at the look at the NFL girl making plays making picks Emily <laughs> I was gonna say look he's not gonna get a ton more minutes I think you're gonna see him in more of a bottom six role because JT Comper is really the one taking Kadri's slot on the second line that's said Newhook I know is a player that the Avalanche are super high on he's a hard worker he does know how to score so I like that. At plus 360, why not? I'll take a shot. Last yeah. thing for last thing exactly. for you, if the Rangers advance, and, and I think we're both on the same page that we expect the Avalanche to advance, what type of series do you see there, you know, what, in, in regard to the matchup? It's going to be awesome. I mean, I think the number one storyline in that series is we are seeing two defensemen in Adam Fox and Kale McCarr that are about to run this league for the next decade. They are mm-hmm. so special. They, they're both that guy. Um, and I think it's just going to be so fun to watch them go toe-to-toe with each other, both offensively and defensively. I think it's going to be a fast series. I think it's going to be physical. Um, I think that the Colorado Avalanche will be pretty heavily favored, just considering they feel their time is now. Um, you know, they've gone through the playoff heartbreaks before. This is a team season to win, whereas the Rangers are more of underdogs. But I don't think the Rangers would be out of it by any means, and I think it would be a great series. Emily, you rock. Again, uh, you know, just uh, singing your praises. You're doing such a phenomenal job on ESPN. So awesome, and and we appreciate your time tonight. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much, Anita, and I look forward to meeting your new dog, Igor Orshevsky, in the future. (laughs) Oh, I don't know. People would be concerned about me if I go out and I get another dog. I've gone from five to three and then back to four. No, that that, that wouldn't go over well. But, Emily, you rock. Enjoy the game tonight. Thank you, Anita.
You got it. You got it. Emily Kaplan joining us here on 98.7 ESPN. How am I playing the Rangers game tomorrow? I'm going to play that they're going to win the series at minus 140. I'm also going to play that they're going to win the series 4-1, which means I do expect them to win tomorrow and come back to New York and seal the deal and win the series um, 4-1. Again, uh, keep in mind, the Rangers had a 2-0 lead. Tampa Bay needed to come back uh, in order to win, and they got lucky in the third period with all due respect. Um, scoring with, with less than a minute, what, 40 seconds left. Rangers missed out on a four-minute power play, which is very uncharacteristic of them. I mean, this has been their bread and butter. This is how they've thrived uh, this postseason. And, uh, and I, I really do think that, uh, that uh, lightning, the net presence in regard to uh, really kind of invading Igor's crease, I don't think, uh, at least I hope, um, we won't see it so aggressively played out tomorrow. And, and, and maybe there'll be some more calls that will be made that I think could, could really be a factor. Um, in regards to the Avalanche in the Oilers tonight, I'm with Emily Kaplan. I do believe that Avalanche, I believe that they close out the series. Here's what I don't understand, gambling-wise. You could bet the Avalanche is going to win tonight on the money line at minus 35. Or you can bet that they're going to win the series and, and sweep the series at minus 125. It's kind of the same bet, don't you think? Yeah, it is, except you're getting better value. So uh, thank me later. Um, so instead of just <laughs> instead of betting the, uh, the avalanche on the money line at minus 135, just go and look for them to sweep and win the series 4-0, and you could get that at minus 125. Also, uh, Emily likes my pick of Newhook scoring a goal at plus 360. Um, at the end of the day, Colorado is one win away uh, from going to the Stanley Cup. That, that's really, in my opinion, and, and listen, I'm sure that the Oilers, they don't want it. Who wants to get swept? No one. But it's just, that is a tall mountain to climb uh, for them to come back being down 3-0 in a series. And um, so I pull out the brooms. I do believe that they're going to get swept tonight. They've won six straight on the road. They're six and one against the Oilers this season, by the way. Um, and I think, and also I think for the Oilers, Kane is suspended. So he's not going to be playing tonight. It's unfortunate that Kadri is going to be out. He's got 13 goals in 15 games uh, this postseason. But uh, as Emily said, the, uh, the Avalanche really like this young man, Alex Newhook. Uh, big things about him. He's scored 13 goals so far this season in 71 games, but he only averages 13 minutes. I do believe he's going to get more playing time. Emily does not believe he will, but um, but I, I, hopefully, I, I mean, I, listen, I, I think those are some really good odds at plus 360. We'll see what happens. 800-919-3776. Let's go to Shane in Paramus. Shane, welcome in. You want to talk about the Rangers. How you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, it's been a great season for the Rangers. I've been watching almost uh, watching or listening to almost every game from uh, the preseason on, and just been just been amazing to watch. So, game so, four is going to be a really really good game. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. What What are your expectations for game four? I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be really close. Uh, I think Tampa Bay has kind of shaking off that rust because they definitely were, especially the first period of game one that you could tell they were rusty. That, that goal that they gave up with Kreider and Zabinajad, you know, you could tell they were a little rusty. And, and I think they just got themselves right back into the series. So uh, 
in in regard to series big picture, who wins and and how many games? Oof. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm such a diehard Rangers fan. I want, and this isn't the same team from 2014, 2015, where it's like we were kind of an older team. We have a lot more youth right now, and I really have a good feeling that we will pull this out in six or seven. It's, it's, it's such a close, tight series. You know, Tampa's so good, and uh, we will see. But I, I don't have a bad feeling, you know? <laughs> well, you shouldn't. Uh, Shana, thanks for the phone call. Appreciate it. You shouldn't have a bad feeling. Um, I, I'm, I'm saying Rangers. I'm saying Rangers in five. I, I, think, I think they're going to win tomorrow, uh, and then I think they're going to come back here to New York, and I think they're going to win in New York, and I think the series will be over 4-1. Uh, let's go to uh, Jeff in Garden City. Jeff, welcome in. You want to talk Rangers. Hi, how are you? Hi, great. I'm great, too. You know what I love about the Rangers? I won't make this long, but it's the first time I can recall this team under any coach in Rangers history, and I'm going to date myself a little bit Mm -hmm. here. Um, But I think putting the kids together has shown almost any hockey organization, but specifically the Rangers, that this can be done with a proper coach and also with a very empathetic audience and a very tough New York audience, and the embracement of both the Rangers coaches and the team. And they have surprised everybody, but I do think they are here to stay, not just this year, but for the future. I have never seen this kind of activity on the ice in 50 years. Yeah, Jeff, and, uh, I, I hear you, and, and I appreciate the phone call. I, I, I think you're spot on because, uh, you know, and, and again, um, you know, just – Hearing what a lot of analysts say, uh, this is a Rangers team, very young, that's 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 peaking a little bit before most people were expecting. And so, A, that's great for where we are right now, but B, it's fantastic for what's to come and uh, it could be an exciting next few years, um, three, five, seven years for this Rangers team and, and Rangers fans, no denying that. Let's go to Richard in Manhattan. Richard, good evening. How you doing? Hi, Anita. Hi, Anita. Uh, before I get to my med point, Rangers, mm-hmm. what happened yesterday is one in a million. They let up 51 shots and were winning two to nothing. Mm-hmm. That's almost impossible to do. Mm-hmm. 51 shots, 19, 17, and I think 18, whatever it was, th- all three periods, they got murdered in a shot attempts against them. So the fact that they were up 2 nothing was pretty amazing. They just couldn't hold on. All right, my med point, and I'd love to talk to Buck Showalter about this. They bring, he brings in Diaz in the eighth inning because the Dodge, and they're protecting a 4-2 to two lead because the Dodgers are sending up Trey Turner, uh, Mookie Betts, and Freddie Freeman. And Diaz does a great job, 15 pitches, one, two, three. So now we go, and last, yesterday's game was super important. We lost two out of the three. Big difference between splitting a series 2-2 and losing a series three games to one. Big series, especially when they're your arch rivals and you hopefully meet them in the playoffs. Anyway, so we go to the ninth. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't see why Diaz, I understand. So, you know, you don't want him overpitched. Not for a reason against – now, Buck gave the uh, 
afterwards said that he wanted to use him in case he has to need, in case he needs him against San Diego. We don't know what's going to happen. We, the game may even get rained out tonight. We do not know. It may be a blowout. They may blow us out. We don't know what will happen. So to say that you need him for tonight or tomorrow makes no sense. Yesterday's game was the crucial game. Okay. What was wrong with bringing Diaz in? In the ninth, and letting him go one pit, one pitch at one batter at a time. As soon as he gave up a base runner, although if it was a soft base runner on a dribbler or something, no, let him keep pitching. But if he got hit hard on a base hit, take him out. Now the excuse I was hearing before: you don't want relief pitches coming in in the middle of an inning. Well, Lugo started the inning and still screwed up. Okay, but now my Richard, final Richard, point this is, on but, this. But wait, Richard, here's wait, what... wait, one last thing. One last thing, and you're going to answer a question for me. Diaz ended up pitching 15 pitches. Lugo ended up pitching 27 pitches. Anita, can you explain to me, the guy who pitches great gets 15 pitches, the guy who gives up the two runs and three hits, blows the safe, gets 27 pitches. How does that make sense? (laughs) Richard, can I just, and and Richard, thanks for your phone call. you, 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 you call in every t- you, you call in every time I'm on you call and you ask me questions that I can't answer because I'm not Buck and I wasn't there in the dugout and I don't know what the analytics team is saying and I don't know what Buck was seeing that we weren't seeing by watching on the East Coast when they're on the West Coast and by the way Richard didn't they just win the last two games I, I mean what what more like you know, a lot of people feel the Dodgers are the best team in Major League Baseball. And and this is a Mets team that went out there to the left coast and split a series with them. I don't I don't know, Richard. I, I wouldn't be calling in a sports talk radio show complaining um, about a Mets team who just split a series with arguably the best team in Major League Baseball. I don't know. That's me. Some Major League Baseball games taking place right now. Uh, The Reds up on the Diamondbacks 2-0. A little surprising here. Bottom of the fourth. Um, Bumgarner uh, pitching was not expecting this. uh, That's for sure. Um, And uh, Hunter Green is a rookie who's just been absolutely shelled as of late. He's four innings in with only one hit given up. So wasn't expecting that either. And then um, you also have the... the hold on one second there we go you've got <laughs> you've got the uh, Toronto Blue Jays game that just started against Kansas City as we know the Mets they're in action a little bit later on at 940 we've got Pat Regazzo from SI who covers the Mets who's going to be joining us at 830 to break down that Mets Padres series we'll also talk some Yankees as and Duhar is demanding a trade he wants out <laughs> um and we'll talk some NBA now as well. But first, let's get, let's get to your calls. Some more Rangers calls calling coming in, and uh, and I definitely would love to hear from you guys. So uh, let's go to CJ in Long Beach. CJ, welcome in. Good evening. Hey, how's it going, Anita? Great. Good evening. How are you? Good. Good. Um, listen, I I totally agree with you. I think Rangers in five. A lot of people that I've talked to agreed. They think you know one from you know in Tampa. I thought. You know, I didn't know which one it was going to be. When we were up 2 nothing, I was pretty confident, but, you know, it didn't go our way. Um, well, it's it's nice that you agree, and it's nice that the people you talk to agree. Thanks for the phone call, CJ. Appreciate it. 
Um, let's go to Will in Manhattan. Will, you're up. Hey, Anita, it's Will. Hi. I uh, want to say, first of all, I think you're best in class, and I love listening to you, so appreciate oh, thank that. You. Thank you, Will. I, I, I want to say, you know, I'm a diehard Rangers fan and agree uh, that they're playing really well. I wish I was as bullish on them as you are right now. I saw a team uh, last night that was just slow on pucks, I thought, in the third period. I think there was a lot of reaching. I think the Truba penalty... Uh, was indicative of them being a little slow on their legs. I think losing Strom was huge. I'm a little nervous. I, I love hearing the optimism, but I am a little nervous. Uh, and I just wanted to hear what you thought about that. I, I know I'm not going to change your opinion, but I saw a team the first two games, I was like, wow, they are quick. And what I saw last night was not that. So. Well, let me, and, and don't, don't hang up. I, I mean, because I, I want to have this conversation with you. First and foremost, let's start with the first period, right? Everything we heard was like, oh, the Lightning, they've got to get up early. They've got to come out strong. They've got to be dominant. They're on their home ice. And I felt that the Rangers responded. Nobody scored in the first period. Uh, absolutely. No, I, I think they did. I think they played a really strong uh, first period and second period there. I, I think the power play goals were massive. I was going you know, nuts when, when we got them. Mm-hmm. And then in the third period, it started to set in what I think I had been waiting for. You know, you, we come out of that Canes series. You know, we go, we go the distance with the Penguins. We go the distance with the Canes. It's like, you know, eventually this is, you know, these guys are playing every other night. And I'm like, eventually we're going we're gonna to come out slow. And I think, we, I, I, I think we came out quick in the game. But I think that I'm just nervous that these, I hope these guys have the gas right now. That's all I'm, that's all I'm thinking. Um, but wanted to, wanted to share that with you. And, Colin, yeah, I, I I really hope I'm wrong. Yeah, I, I hope you're wrong too. Well, thank you for the phone call. You, you know, it's it's kind of the same. And and, and I'm I'm going to switch gears here, and I'm going to start talking about this uh, Celtics Warriors series. Um, and you know, it, it, it that that's interesting in itself because you know, no matter who you, you, you talk to, there's people who believe that the Celtics are the better team, and there's people who believe that the Warriors are the better team. Now. Um, full transparency, I have loved this Celtics team since the All-Star break. I- I've, been, I've been watching them and handicapping them throughout the All-Star break and picked them to win against the Heat, picked them to win against the Bucks. And But I, at the end of the day, I, I do believe the Golden State Warriors are the better team now. I think the Warriors, but, and, and not by a lot. Um, and in this in this last game that we saw, to me was more in it, more of what I was expecting in Game One. And I'm going to get it all into, into all that in just a second. But the comparison I'm making here is a part of me feels like the Celtics went the distance with the Bucks. They went seven. Went the distance with the Heat. They went seven. Meanwhile, the Golden State Warriors they sat they sat back and and you know watched to see how that Celtics heat matchup was, was going to play out. And so, you know, even though the, even though the Boston Celtics came out in one game one, you look at, you look at all four quarters that they played and really it's, it, it was that fourth quarter in the first game that they outscored the Golden State Warriors 40 to 16. That was the difference maker in, in game one. And of course you, you saw what happened in game two um, and, and it, more of how the Warriors play, especially at home at, at, at the Chase Center. And also, this is a Golden State, this is a, uh, a, a Boston Celtics team who've, you know, it's, 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 they, they don't defend their home court 
like the Golden State Warriors typically do, right? The Bucks won in Boston. The Heat won in Boston. I think the Golden State Warriors could win in Boston. But just to kind of the analogy, I understand what you're saying. This is a Rangers team that they ha- they've had to go the distance uh, with their previous opponents, right? Like, wow, the, uh, the Penguin series, the, 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 uh, the Hurricane series. Um, they've gone the, they've gone the distance with those two teams. And so, you know, are they, um, are they gassed? I wondered the same thing in regard to the Celtics, right? So we'll see what happens. But, um, again, disappointing third period, especially the last 40 seconds, but I, I feel optimistic. I feel really optimistic. And, and, and I do believe the Rangers have a, a really great chance of, uh, of, of, winning, stealing one on Tampa Bay's ice and then coming back home here to the garden and winning 4-1. We'll see what happens. Um, regardless, if that's not how it, if, if that's not how it plays out, I, I still, I feel confident that the Rangers are going to win the series. Um, they've been, they've been fantastic in elimination games as well. It's like, especially for a young team who's experienced that, you know, eliminate, elimination games are, you know, they're, they're, they're so stressful. You know, you, you lose your season's over. That's it. Done. Like you're on the golf course. Bye. See you later. And so for a young team, uh, to, 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 to experience so many elimination games that, that, that plays in, in their favor and in their, absolutely. Um, and, and also, I, you know, I, I think a, a, a big thing, and, and, and I know we've heard a lot of people talk about this, is, you know, they're, they're, they're on borrowed time, if that's the right phrase, right? Like, who expected them to be here? They're peaking way too soon. Like, we didn't expect, I say we, including myself, like we. <laughs> um, folks did not expect the Rangers to be this good so soon, right? This is the Rangers team that many people expected maybe next year, two years from now. Okay, well, they've arrived. And so the, the experience that they're getting um, in these series that they're facing, these, you know, fantastic, you know, Sidney Crosby and the Penguins and the Hurricanes and beating them on their home ice, uh, you know, something that very few major league um, NHL teams ha- have been able to, to accomplish. And then, and then to beat the Tampa Bay Lightning two games in a row, something the Lightning have not experienced in three years it's just um it's 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 a magic listen at the end of the day it's a magical season hypothetically like if i'm wrong and the rangers lose and they don't win the series at the end of the day like rangers fans have to be like ecstatic over the moon thrilled with this season i i, I would imagine i would imagine that that most would be of course you'd be disappointed but at the end of the day i i, I think I think you've got to be really, really thrilled. There's plenty of concern about plenty of things. You know, Boston's a hell of a team. They're, you know, they have a great defense. They've got guys who are athletic and, and powerful and can get to the rim and whatever it takes. You know, we're going to need contributions from a lot of people. We're per- perfectly capable of winning games uh, where Steph doesn't have a huge night. Just means other guys got to got to step up and, and score for us. But that's that's something that they've done all year. Steve Kerr talking about his Warriors. Um, as we know, they took game two, 107 to 88 against the Boston Celtics. They shot 45% from the field, 50, sorry, 45% for the field, 40% from downtown. 
and had 42 rebounds. Uh, really, what was key for them, as big as the fourth quarter was for the Boston Celtics in Game 1, the third quarter was for the Golden State Warriors in Game 2. 35-14 run. Boston just shot 4 of 17 in the third quarter. Um, also, they had uh, they had uh, 21 turnovers. That became 33 Warrior points. Uh, second most offensive turnovers in an NBA final game in the past 25 years, in, including 11 live ball turnovers and 9 steals, FYI. Steph Curry, 29 points, 6 rebounds, 4 assists. And... Um, He's got over 60 points now in the first two games, uh, which is, he's just really, really otherworldly when when you think about just how great Steph Curry is. Um, You know, we we talked about this on Daily Wager tonight on ESPN2, and uh, we were asked, you know, how are you going to play this series moving forward? And... The, the conversation, and, and Jake, and Jacob, feel free to chime in here, and I'll open up the phone lines, 800-919-3776. Like, I think anybody can make an, a solid argument that you feel the Warriors are the better team or the Boston Celtics are the better team. Like I said, I love this Boston Celtics team from the All-Star break. I love the addition of Derek White. I thought was one of the best free agent pickups of all the free agent pickups that were out there, even better than the whole Harden-Ben Simmons fiasco that went down. And they needed him, especially in that Miami series, to step up with Marcus Smart getting injured and Rob Williams getting injured um, and, and the, the minutes that he played and how, he, how he, he helped them on the defensive side of the ball as well as on the offensive side of the ball. But you come to this series, and I, I, just, I truly believe that the Golden State Warriors are the better team. They've got the, better, the, the best, in my opinion, the best player on the court. But, but any, anyone could make an argument that the Boston Celtics are the better team, and I would respect it. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't think that the Golden State Warriors are head and shoulders that much, you know, so much better than the Boston Celtics. But I, I, I will wholeheartedly disagree with you if you don't think that Curry is the best player on this court. And if you believe that the Golden State Warriors are going to win this championship, then I think the best value out, right, out there right now is for Curry uh, to win the MVP. And you can get it at even money right now. Again, I think he's the best player. He's put up 63 points. Here's another thing. He hasn't won a finals MVP yet, okay? KD won it. Iguodala won it. So I think those in power that, that have the say and, and are going to be you know voting on that, I, I think that's going to come into effect as well. He's going up against arguably one of the best defensive teams, Marcus Smart, awarded the defensive player of the year and he's still putting up 63 points. And I shared this, this statistic with our, our producers in the break. This is, he has 73 pointers in the postseason for the fifth time in his career. Can we just marinate in that for a minute? 73 pointers. And this is the third time that he's had at least 20, not 25 points and five, three pointers in back to back final games. And Steve Kerr touched on it last night in the post-game, in post-game press conference. You know, we talk about Steph Curry and, and how great he is offensively, but, you know, we just don't pay a lot of attention to just how great he is defensively because we're just so in awe of what he does on the offensive side of the court that, you know, his, his defensive um, contribution falls by the wayside. You know, we just, you know, we, we don't pay a lot of attention to it. 
You know, there's a lot of guys who just play on one side of the court. A lot of guys don't pride themselves. Defense, you have to pride. You have to want to play defense in the NBA. You have to pride yourself on playing defense in the NBA. And Steph Curry does that. So I'm curious, Jake and Jacob, do do, do you feel adamant that one of these teams is better than the other? Or or do you feel that it's a toss-up? I feel like it's more of a toss-up. You can argue that Boston has the more... uh versatile and complete team in terms of uh, the way they can switch on defense and the way they can uh, create their own shots. But like you said, uh, Golden State does indeed have the better play in Steph Curry, and he has shown us that throughout our first two games while scoring over 30 points. So I think he has the motivation to uh, lead the Golden State Warriors uh, to the championship, but I do think that Boston will make it tougher than um, it has. And to hop off of Jacob, uh, I think it's a toss-up, too. I think if you're a Knicks fan, you kind of hate this matchup because we obviously hate Boston, and Golden State has been there uh, several times over the last five, six years. But uh, if you're an NBA or basketball fan, you just want to see a close game. So a game like last night where it kind of gets out of hand in the second half, and I just wanted to mention, I know you've had some bad beats. I definitely had a bad beat last night. I took Curry and Tatum to both score 30 points in a little mm. two-leg parlay. Looked at halftime, thought I was good. Looked at the end of the game, Curry ended up with 29 and Tatum ended up with 28. They both didn't even play in the fourth quarter. And, you know, that's my luck, of course. But to go back to the actual series, Curry is very hungry to prove to people that he can be a finals MVP. Everyone knows he's the best shooter of all time. Everyone knows he's a top 20, 25 player of all time. But one thing on his impressive resume that he doesn't have is a finals MVP. So I do like him to continue to go off. And the last thing that I want to mention, which might be a huge key in this series, of course, the regular season is a lot different than the postseason. But the Celtics in the regular season were great at home. They were 28-13, and 13, and the Warriors in the regular season on the road were only 22-19. and 19. Of course, the regular season in the postseason is a different animal, but if you do look at the trends of the regular season, the Celtics were a great team at TD Garden, and the Warriors were not a great team away from their arena. So if you do look at stuff like that, the Celtics at – in Boston at TD Garden might be the play tomorrow night. Um, interesting because I'm going to take the Golden State Warriors in the points. Uh, give me the three and a half. Give I'm, me the four. I'm right there with you. Uh, <laughs> right there with you. As much <laughs> as I like points. Boston, it's going to be tough. I also see uh, the way Steph Curry's been playing. I think he's due for a 40 point game, and it's going to be one of those two games in Boston. So uh, I, I, I that, think, I think Steph I is. I think Steph is going to go off. So well, we how will I... talk. We will talk after game three, and we'll see. Again, I hate the Celtics. I, I don't want to be rooting for them. I'm not rooting for them, but I'm just saying they are a great home team. And, of course, the Warriors have way more championship experience compared to the Celtics. But sometimes when a team is young and doesn't really know how big the moment is, sometimes there's no pressure on them to just go out and play basketball. And if Tatum and Brown – can kind of be those two young guys controlling the court tomorrow. I wouldn't be shocked. Again, I think it's more of a toss-up, but uh, the Celtics are very good at home, so also, just keep that in mind. Well, also to add on to his point, too, uh, the bench players and role players will play better at home. So all the players that struggled, uh, Robert Williams, who's injured, uh, Al Horford, and also Marcus Smart, they will play better, along with Grant Williams and uh, – 
Derek White, like you, like you mentioned earlier. Yeah, I, just just to kind of give you some scores here, or some stats, I should say. So Tatum had eighteen, uh, had twenty eight points, uh, but Jalen Brown only had seventeen. He's definitely up there at twenty eight, thirty, thirty two a night. He only had seventeen. Horford only had two points, eight rebounds. Robert Williams had two points. He only played fourteen minutes. Now he's dealing. He re injured that knee. So will he be able to go on Wednesday night in Boston? Got to keep an eye on that. He's, uh, he's such a crucial part of their defense, especially in the paint, especially with Draymond Green and how Draymond Green is, um, is, is fired up right now. Uh, Marcus Smart, only two points, five assists, two rebounds, five turnovers, and White only had 12 points. So uh, you're right. You know the, the bench players didn't show up for the Warriors in game one. Bench players for, uh, for the Boston Celtics didn't show up in game two. So how am I playing this on Wednesday night? Like I said, I'm taking the Golden State Warriors and give me the points. I'm also going to play the under at 212.5. And, and I'm going to continue to play that third quarter money line for the Golden State Warriors at plus 105, even money. I don't know how it's it, how how we're getting it there because they've just been so dominant. It's it's they they rule. They own the third quarter, and the Boston Celtics they struggle in the third quarter. Um, so uh, so that's that that's how that's how I'm, I'm rolling here. You gotta like the way that Dray- Draymond Green is is setting that that attitude, that aggressiveness, that that confidence, especially in Game Two. Uh, boy, was 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 he a force to be reckoned with. Prop bets, I'm going Curry over 28.5 points. I know you like that, Jacob. He's shooting 45% from the field, 46 from downtown. And uh, I'm going to take the Clay Thompson under 18.5 points. He's been struggling. Um, he hasn't been able to put up 18 points in the first two games. 15 in game one, 11 in game two. He's only averaging 32 points from the field, 28 points from downtown. So uh, so that's how I'm playing the uh, Celtics-Warriors game on Wednesday night. 800-919-3776. You want to chime in? We're going to talk some Major League Baseball. You got the Mets in action. 940, a little over an hour, hour and 10 minutes will be first pitch as the Mets start a three-game series against the Padres. They were in L.A. and uh, split the series against the Dodgers 2-2. Now they head south to take on the Padres. Carrasco on the bump for them tonight. And so we'll be breaking that down next here on 98.7 ESPN. Without further ado, um, Pat Ragazzo is joining us. He covers the Mets with uh, with SI. Pat, welcome in. Great to have you on the program. How you doing? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. How are you doing, Anita? I'm I'm great. Um, I'm I'm like I'm all in with the Rangers right now. I'm 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 enjoying this postseason with the Rangers. So uh, we spent majority of the show talking Rangers and fielding calls, but want to switch gears to what's going on with the Mets. As we know, first pitch is later on tonight, nine forty, a little over an hour. Um, against the Padres. But before we start talking about that series, let's look back to the Dodgers. Just the fact that they were able to split the series. A lot of people feel as great as the Yankees are playing, right? Like we live in our own little bubble here in the Northeast. Um, a lot of people feel that the Dodgers are the best team in Major League Baseball. And, uh, and, and you know, j- just the mere fact that they were able to go there and split the series and, and win the last two games, I, I, I think is, is, is pretty substantial. Your, your thoughts on that series? Yeah, well, that's a really great point. And I want to go back to something that Brandon Nimmo said uh, during pregame on Saturday in the visiting dugout at Dodger Stadium. Um, he had said no one is panicking after two rough nights offensively, um, the fact, despite the fact that the Mets had to face a tough pitcher in Walker Bueller that night. They went out and they wound up scoring. Uh, they chased Walker Bueller from that game. 
after two and a third, which was his uh, the shortest start of his career. They wanted putting up nine runs, and of course the wild win yesterday. So um, what what Nimmo said was that no one was panicking, and because they have a veteran team, it gives them the ability to bounce back quicker. And uh, we we've seen it, you know, throughout the first uh, portion of the season, we're just about a third of the way through. And the Mets were 14-0 at a point coming off a loss. They haven't lost more than two games in a row. And they have only done so three times this season. So uh, that's definitely true, you know, the resilience of this club. And then to be able to bounce back and win the last two in in L.A. They don't have Jacob DeGrom. They don't have Max Scherzer. Um, You know, they were able to do so with, uh, you know, some some lesser-named guys who who have really come through in big spots. So, um, you know, it was a really big, big test. And, and, you know, they, they wound up matching up well with a very tough team in the Dodgers. And, you know, you, you talk about you talk about guys that, you know, are outperforming this season. Carrasco, six and one, uh, six, three, six, three, sorry, three, six, three ERA. And uh, and he's going to be dealing tonight for this Mets team that are 37 and 19 um, and um, going up against Blake Snell, who's not having a great season. Oh, and two with a four, eight, oh, ERA. I really I, I like the Mets tonight. I've already I've I've uh, I've laid some coin on them. Alonzo. 16 home runs, 54 RBIs. Uh, they've won seven of their last 10. Um, I'm feeling good about this Mets team. What, what, are, what are your thoughts about this series against the Padres? Well, the win yesterday definitely, um, you know, has them coming into Petco Park with, uh, with some momentum there. I know Blake Snell hasn't had uh, too good of a year for San Diego, but he's still a left-hander, and the Mets lineup has struggled against lefties uh, at certain points this season. I mean, you could look back to last series, the first two games, uh, you know, we saw uh, Gonsling and uh, Tyler and Aunt Tyler Anderson for the Dodgers, who are both having, uh, you know, career years in Los Angeles and, and are two of the best pitchers in the National League and the entire, uh, you know, MLB as a whole. Um, but, but you know, as far as matchups are concerned, the, you know, the Mets haven't done, uh, you know, particularly well against lefties. But, uh, you know, again, when you look back to yesterday's win, uh, they hung in there against Urias. They only scored the one run against him, and then they did the rest of their damage against the Dodger bullpen. But, um, yeah, again, lefties have given the Mets fits. But, uh, you know, given the way that Snell's year has gone uh, and the momentum that the Mets grabbed uh, being able to split in, in L.A., it, it does you know, have them coming in with a little bit more swagger in the Petco Park. Pat Regazzo joining us here on 98.7 ESPN. You can see his work all over SI, talking all things Mets. And um, so... Uh, let's talk about some of the injuries. We'll, we'll, let, let's shelf Jacob DeGrom for a minute. I, I definitely want to get an update there, but let's talk about the, the recent ones that are kind of like off the beaten path, right? Like, so Lindor in breaking his, what the, the tip of his finger in a hotel door. Like we've been there before. Like I've hurt my finger on those hotel doors. I'm sure you've experienced this, Pat, where like they close by themselves, right? Like, and they like, yeah, and, of and pretty pretty aggressively like as soon as I, I as soon as I heard that I was just like ooh, I wonder if that was the kind of hotel door he heard it in um you know but but obviously nothing too significant since you know he's he's been active right I think the biggest worry was that it was going to slow him down with how uh, how hot he's been at the plate really for the past um, two and a half three weeks or so. Uh, but he's really, after taking a night off, he's picked up right where he left off. Uh, he had a homer and, and a big double in yesterday's game. He had, he had a homer on, uh, on Saturday night. Uh, and he's really, he's, he's hit well. He was on base three times yesterday. And, and uh, all of his throws from the shortstop position, which was the biggest concern, I know it was his biggest concern, was 
was not having that sensation in his finger, which was, uh, you know, hindering his throws. But he's really – his throws from, from the shortstop position, he's had plenty of chances, uh, you know, since injuring that finger. And, and uh, you know, he's had no hiccups. Uh, I know Pete Alonso bailed him out on, on one of them, he said, but, uh, but really nothing of, of note. So I think the Mets and Lindor uh, really dodged a bullet there. And, and you know, it, it's just kind of one of those years, it seems like, where, where the injuries still are there and, and there is a little bit of weirdness to them at times, uh, you know, specifically this week. But – uh, you know, some some luck's kind of been pulling in the Mets' way, which hasn't really been the case in years past. And then, of course, we've got the uh, the, the infamous dog bite for um, for Max Scherzer. Now, listen, I've got several dogs, and and I, I shared this, you know, I shared this on my show yesterday. I'm not sure if you have any animals, Pat, but like I have one dog that if she's in any kind of pain it's not a bite it's more of a nibble it's more of a like like it's it's her trying to express or tell me that she's not well like whether she's got a tummy ache or I don't know maybe she like hurt her foot whatever the case may be like and so she'll like she'll she'll bite my hand but it's not it's not like an aggressive bite it's it's just it's more of a like hey I'm I'm not well help me I, I mean because like at the end of the day dogs can't speak so how significant of a bite is this? What 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 are the Mets telling you when it comes to Scherzer in this this dog bite? Well, the Mets have kind of just echoed what uh, you know Max Scherzer posted to Twitter uh, shortly after the report surfaced. Um, his dog was on a run, I believe, and she hurt her leg. And when he went to go pet her and comfort her, she was in a lot of pain, of course, and uh, you know wound up giving him a little bite on the hand. And fortunately for him, as Max said uh, in his tweet. Uh, he, you know, the bite was not significant. He took one day off from throwing and then went back to throwing long toss the next day, which is also another good sign because um, to this point, the Mets are pleased with Scherzer's progress, but we haven't really heard much else uh, until Scherzer, um, you know, reported himself that he, ha- he has been throwing long toss um, at his home in Florida while he rehabs from that oblique injury. So, um, you know, crisis averted. It, it, you know, when it comes out that your ace pitcher gets bitten on his throwing hand, it's never, you know, never a good, uh, you know, it's always there's always a little bit of concern, but the Mets are not concerned because the bite was not severe, and you know of course this isn't going to affect Scherzer's rehab. So um, you know his I believe his dog's okay, which which is what you got to hope, and um, you know Max is okay too, and and he's you know he's working towards getting back on the field. Yeah, that was going to be my next question: is do we know do we know the status with the dog? <laughs> I believe um, she's okay. But I, I I can't <laughs> confirm, but but you know you you hope that you hope that she's all right. Um, so, so now, uh, let's, uh, let's, let's talk about Jacob DeGrom and, um, and, and what's going on there. You know, now from what I understand, like, like the, the, what I've, what, what I have read, he has said to you guys, to the media is like, Hey, I'm ready to go. I'm just waiting on the Mets medical staff to give me like the, the, the thumbs up. Like it sounds like he's like never felt better, but this is a team again, they're 37 and 19. You know, they're either splitting or winning series. They've got a monster league in the National League East. Like, do you think this is a matter of uh, the Mets taking their dear old time? Because, Like, I guess my question is, if the Mets weren't doing this well, do you think we'd see Jacob DeGrom already in action? Um, the latter is an interesting question, but my theory on the whole situation of course is that um you know DeGrom missed the end of the season last year for the Mets and 
Um, you know, losing him last year, he was he was irreplaceable. And of course, he's the, the best pitcher in the world when healthy. So he's he's definitely irreplaceable. But this year, the Mets are just taking it you know, slow with him because he suffered the injury. Um, you know, he's not built up to the point to be able to come back to pitching games. And the ultimate goal, especially with that lead that they've built, the Mets have shown that they're they're among the best teams in the league so far through the first 56 or so games. Um, the goal now is to have Jacob DeGrom return, and when he returns, have him on the mound every fifth day for the rest of the season and hopefully the postseason. And uh, that really should be the way the Mets are looking at it. I believe that is the the view scope that they have on their uh, on their prized arm in Jacob DeGrom. So, again, they're taking it very slow right now. He threw a 19-pitch bullpen over the weekend. It was all fastballs. It was at moderate intensity. Uh, what needs to happen next is he needs to incorporate his off-speed pitches and then uh, translate transition to uh, high intensity in his bullpen. So then move to facing live hitters and the Mets are going to need to send him out on several rehab starts before he can return. Um, so if you do the math, I mean, it's a very fluid situation, but uh, it is realistic to think that he could potentially return by, you know, mid July potentially, uh, you know, but still there's a lot of season left from that point on. And uh, it's a pivotal stretch in the season and to have a healthy Jacob DeGrom like that and to be able to count on him every five days and Max Scherzer as well who's coming from the oblique injury I think the Mets would definitely sign up for that especially considering how well they've been playing without their their two prized arms great stuff Pat thank you so much for joining us tonight appreciate your time yeah of course thanks so much for having me on you got it Pat Ragazzo joining us. Again, you can see his work all over SI, covering all things Mets. And uh, again, first pitch, 940 tonight. Carrasco going up against Blake Snell. They are in San Diego taking on the Padres. And uh, and I, I do like them a lot. In fact, um, you can play them on the run line at plus 170. You can play them on the money line at even money. I'm playing them both ways. And also I'm playing uh, Pete Alonzo to hit a home run off of Blake Snell. Why not? right? Dude's got 16 already on the season. Um, Let's make it 17 tonight, right? Monday night here on 98.7 ESPN. Uh, Let's talk about the Yankees and uh, and Duhar, who, as we know, is really frustrated and understandably so, right? Um, You know, he's, uh, he, he has had some injuries. There has been some poor play that really has limited him to 90 big league games um, since his rookie season. While he's been here in the bigs, he's kind of fluctuated his batting average, 234, 260, 329, seven home runs in those 319 uh, plate appearances in the bigs. And, um, you know, I, I, I get it. I, I get, and, 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 and he's played really great in the minors um, batting average in the minors, 312, 362. Um, and, and I don't blame him in, in regard to him feeling that he deserves to, to be here and, and has an, should have an, a, a better opportunity to have um, a, a prolonged big league look from the Yankees, right? Um, but the, the Yankees are, are in a, a difficult situation in, in regard to the fact that, you know, Gallo plays left. And Duhar plays left. He doesn't. He doesn't have the. He's limited defensively. You can't put him in center. He doesn't have that range. And I truly believe. It. So, so let me just preface by saying, I'm, I'm kind of. I'm playing Switzerland here. Okay. Like I understand where Duhar is coming from, right? But at the same time, I could understand where the Yankees are coming from, 
because uh, there's there's no more minor league options for Gallo. So, and and based on on what the Yankees have invested in Gallo, I think they need to see what more he can do as we get closer to the trade deadline. Now he had a two run home run last night yesterday against the Tigers, right? He still is sitting with a, a 176 ERA. He was sitting with a 173 ERA before that game. Um, but meanwhile, Andujar, he has, um, you know, he's, I, I want to say this is his third time that, that he's, he's gone down to the minors. So, you know, you're allowed five. So, um, you know, big reason why, uh, again, I, I think the Yankees are trying to buy some time here to see what can, what can Gallo do. And possibly, you know, one of these guys being traded at the trade deadline. And I'm sure Yankee fans out there would, would rather it be Gallo um, than Andujar. But it, it's just, it's, it's, it's an unfortunate situation. I can, I can see both sides, though. I can see where Andujar is, is, is really agitated and upset, and I can see why the Yankees are, are making this decision, right? 800-919-3776. Uh, Jake and Jacob, I, I know you guys are Yankee fans. Uh, I'm, I'm, I want to imagine you guys are not happy with this decision from the Yankees, right? Like, you're not big on Gallo. You're not, you're not even big on, on Hicks. I, I came across this stat um, today. Hicks is 0-2. He was 0-2 last night with Ducks on the pond. He's 4 for 35 this season with with runners in, in on base. Um so Hicks isn't carrying his his weight. Gallo obviously isn't carrying his weight. There's a number of players on this roster that aren't carrying their weight. You could argue that Enduhar um can offer more especially offensively to the Yankees, but again, because of this this major league baseball rule, you you, you know you can't you can't send Gallo back down to the minors. I'm and and I wouldn't be shocked that if if that was an opportunity that maybe the Yankees would have kept Enduhar here and sent Gallo down. Yeah, I think the thing that most Yankee fans are upset about is that it's another example that Brian Cashman had someone with a lot of value and are now going to be trading that player when his value is nowhere near as close as the peak or the top value that you could have gotten. We all remember Miguel Andujar's rookie season a year after Aaron Judge had arguably the greatest rookie season ever in Yankees history. Andujar posted a rookie season that ranked, you know, as one of the top rookie seasons as well. He lost the rookie of the year to Otani, who had a historic year as well. But even with Otani's historic season pitching and batting, there were a lot of people out there that believe that Miguel Andujar should have still won Rookie of the Year. And I'm not saying the Yankees should have traded him right after that season, but if you look down the road, it's easier to say with hindsight. But now you're going to be trading this guy when he has no value, when you could have traded him after a rookie season that was compared to Mickey Mantle and other great Yankees. So I think that's what most Yankee fans are upset about. It's not necessarily trading Miguel Andujar, who might not have a spot on this team and clearly hasn't had one in a few seasons. I think Yankee fans are more upset that we've seen countless examples over the years, whether it's Clint Frazier or Chance Adams or a ton of other Yankees that had a lot of value. And then when they have no value is when the Yankees decide to trade them. So that's kind of my point of view on Duhar, on Andujar. I think he's a great hitter. 
I think he improved. I think he's certainly a major league player. I just don't think there's really any room for him here with the New York Yankees. Jacob? Well, uh, I'm not a Yankee fan, but I do uh, feel the Yankees' pain about this. Uh, and Duhar has been great. He at least gets a hit in every game this season. Um, not that I find it as a head-scratcher, but, uh, I mean, I, I see why they're so overloaded at that position. But then again, like, why wouldn't you want him either? Well, Mets fans are in the same boat, kind of, with Dom Smith. He's another player that— Yeah, but Dom Smith has been struggling. Like, I, I, I can see if Duhar was struggling throughout That's the fair. season. Um but he has uh, had at least had great at-bats. I can't even remember Dom Smith probably last. But my point with Dom Smith hit. is a lot of Mets fans believed that he was going to be a huge part of this offense, and oh, now yeah, he's yeah, someone sure. in the minor league. So if you were going to trade, I know there were rumors before the season with Dom Smith for Eric Hosmer, which a lot of Mets fans were not excited about. But, you know, this is another player that – a New York baseball team had, whether it's Miguel Andujar or Dom Smith, that had a lot of value a couple of seasons ago, and now both players are not even in the major league. So uh, just that's my comparison with those two guys. I just I, I want to share this with you. I, I came across this article, and, and, and I found this to be kind of interesting, um, and I'm just going to read it verbatim um, in, in regards to what the article says. The odds of a trade involving Andujar are, are uncertain, um, they spoke to one rival talent evaluator on Saturday who expressed, who expressed skepticism that he would attract many suitors because of his recent struggles in his overall profile. Teams simply do not value right-handed hitters with limited defensive value. It's true that Andujar has added outfield um, to his defensive resume in recent years, yet public metrics indicate he remains a below-average fielder overall. Besides interested parties, no Andujar is 27, will exhaust his options this season. Most players are afforded three option years um, that allow them to be sent to the minors at the team's discretion. Once those three years are used up, the player has to be subjected to waivers before they can be demoted. At that point, the Yankees, the Yankees will be operating with reduced leverage, and they may conclude that they have no better alternative than to non-tender him. It's interesting. I know a lot of Yankee fans have talked about, on social media at least in the last few days, possibly making a package um, with Andujar for Kansas City Royals outfielder Andrew Benintendi, um, which might be an interesting deal. He is on, he basically has half of a season left on his contract. Andujar obviously wants out. So if you can maybe package a deal with Andujar and a few other maybe minor league prospects for Andrew Benintendi, who we all remember with the Red Sox a few years ago, was killing us left and right. He's a lefty bat. He's a solid player. He's still young, only 27 years old. Um, that's a guy that a lot of Yankee fans have been talking about trading in Duhar for, but it'll be interesting how this all plays out in the next few days or weeks with him being clearly upset going to the media and basically expressing that he wants out of the Bronx. A few teams, again, that this article is uh, reporting could be interested. The Reds, the Marlins, the Nationals, the Rangers, and the Tigers. 800-919-3776. You want to chime in uh, on uh, on the Yankees and what's going on with Andujar, uh, feel free to do so. Also, I wanted to share with you, um, you've got, again, the Mets. Uh, that first pitch is at 940. You also have the Boston Red Sox uh, taking on the Angels later on tonight. 
and uh, this is one of this was my best bet on daily wager earlier this evening on ESPN two. I love the Red Sox tonight on the money line over the Angels. As we know, the Angels they've lost eleven straight. Uh, <laughs> Trout has been a hot mess since the whole fantasy football drama debacle um, was uh, was reported. He's zero in twenty six. His his worst drought of his professional career. Zero in twenty six. Keep in mind, this is a Angels team. Uh, they lost to the Phillies last night, so they had to travel all the way back to the West Coast. So uh, you definitely you have the Red Sox, who swept the A's, so they've been on the West Coast. Also, you've got Noah Syndergaard pitching for the Angels, and last time we saw him, he got shelled by the, by the Yankees last week, if you recall. I lost money in that game. Also, the Angels, their bullpen is just no bueno. It is not good. And Waka is pitching for, uh, for, the, for the Red Sox tonight, and he's 3-1 with the 2-4-3 ERA. So my best bet tonight is uh, the Red Sox on the money line against the Angels. And like I said, I also like the Mets. Um, I'll play them on the run line at plus 170. I'm also going to play them on the money line at even money against the Padres. You're listening to Anita Marks on 98.7 ESPN.